what I'm trying to say is that if I can change, я думаю, что каждый тоже изменился. And you can change. Вы можете измениться. Everybody can change. Каждый может измениться. Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex and I am joined, as always, for every episode down this descent on the path of the contrary by my friend Julio. Julio, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. I'm pumped, not just because we're recording a new uh, location, or alternate location. I guess mm-hmm. we recorded here once, recorded for the American uh, president. That's right. Yeah. Every now and then it's good to shake things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, we also just watch a dream come true. Pulse-pounding action. Pulse-pounding action. I, I've seen this character uh, done wrong so many times that it was refreshing to finally see a movie that... that Got it right. That also predated all of them. You exactly. Just... It's like sometimes you get it right the first time, and then you just keep trying to fix something that ain't broke. So here this week, uh, we're back on the track. Um, we appreciate you tuning in for our bonus episode on Here Comes the Boom. But back on our alternating scale, we're here to visit The Punisher, the 1989 Dolph Lundgren film, uh, where he plays the title character, Frank Castle, The Punisher. Um, and now, Julio, before we get started here, do you have some quotes for us? I have some quotes. This is a pretty old movie, so there were only, I think, about 20 reviews in Rotten Tomatoes. And even then, uh, poor Frank Castle and poor Dolph Lundgren got, uh, got the shaft. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting with Variety Staff from Variety. Uh, that says, with origins in a Marvel Comics character, the Punisher is, as might be expected, two-dimensional. Ooh. I'm thinking this is like... Like one of those reviews that's really from 1989 before Marvel came to be, you know, the Marvel Universe came to be what it is right now. Where everything's in 3D. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Christopher Knoll from FilmCritic.com says, Marred by cheeseball sets and special effects, lame fight sequences, and some of the worst acting ever to disgrace the screen. Brian Ooh. Webster <laughs> Brian Webster from Apollo Guide says, The real problem is that it just isn't very exciting. And finally, Greg Dean Schmitz from Greg's Previews at Yahoo Movies says, The only positive spin I can put on this movie is that if bad comic adaptations like it hadn't been done in the late 1980s and early 1990s, Marvel never would have needed to have its current high-quality big-screen resurgence. So now here's a man speaking from the present. present And not being very kind to the movie anyway. But again, let us not ignore the fact that it wasn't just like Marvel's late 80s movies were... A lightning rod of, you know, some didn't like them. All comic book movies at that point were pretty strange. Yes. And and I think that in a way, that's one of the things that I miss. Even before we get into the plot, I just... Those movies had a personality that the movies 
from now on, yeah, they make make more money and make it more critical acclaim, but they're lacking that, that here you can feel Dolph Lundgren in like every frame of the movie driving this project. Whereas like now it's just it's just it's by the books. It's exactly. paint by numbers now. It's like a mass producing machine, and it's it just lacks that fire that you can find in, in projects like this one or Corman's Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. that, where people they, maybe they didn't have like the high budgets, but they because of that they need to use. Uh, they need to be clever. They need to be apply their ingenuity and try to find a way to bring these characters to life. And especially as we'll see here, just the willingness to make it gritty, to make it you know almost uh, it is a fantasy world. Therefore, I can do what I want with the aesthetics, and you know I can I can make this in my vision and not just make you know it's not about just having a bunch of good looking people up there that are in super good shape, you know, doing a bunch of special. Exactly. That said, my humble opinion, the hottest Punisher to date. <laughs> He's he's not too shabby, you know. Uh, he looks like he hasn't slept in a few days, though. The the beginning of the film is the closest thing to a comic book uh, that we get, as it is a multicolored animated, basically just a montage of you oh know, the opening credits, yeah, opening yeah. credits. Excuse me, um, where it just basically shows, you know, it catches us up over the past five years, where he's just been wrecking shop on the mob and the wicked that deserve to be punished. Yeah, and, and I think that that plus like a couple scenes. Later in the movie, uh, that's about as much backstory in The Punisher as you get, which is something I appreciate it. Because it feels like later incarnations of The Punisher, they just – because they have to take themselves so seriously. All all superhero movies that come out now, you look at Spider-Man. How many fucking times have we been told the story of Spider-Man? We get it. Uncle Ben died. Can we just start the actual story? And but- yeah, that's you have to admire that. There's two lines of dialogue that explain why he is the way he is. He has like these five-second flashbacks that tell you everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. Oh, his wife and his kids died that's it and then later on like some guy says it was an accident <laughs> mark goldblatt the director respects his audience he respects our intelligence enough to think he knows that we can get it that he can just drop us right in the middle and just give us a quick backstory and we'll be up to date exactly i think that he knew that the people that were fun uh, they were fans of the punisher in the comic books they already know the backstory so they're coming just to see a, a cool punisher tale and the people that are not fans of the comics they don't care about the backstory they just need to know that this guy kicks ass and kills bad guys exactly the only other uh, comic book movie opening that I think rivals it was the montage that opened X-Men Origins Wolverine, where it shows them fighting through all the through, wars. Through history. Yeah. They're going through history. It's going to take a lot to top that. Again, we start off with Frank Castle, Dolph Lundgren, uh, affectionately known as the Punisher. I do believe that it's supposed to be that the media dubbed him that, right? Is that where we got it in this movie? That's, that's what it seemed like. Yeah. They're reporting. They're, there's a reporter that's talking about about them as being two separate uh, entities because I guess only a handful of people know that Frank Castle and the Punisher are one and the same. So they're just talking about how Detective Frank Castle has disappeared. Mm-hmm. And also, coincidentally, this, this, this Punisher, Punisher guy has been killing mobsters. Yeah, so it's been five years of him just wiping out motherfuckers. And uh, the movie starts with, it looks like a, a pretty high-ranked Don from the Franco crime family is uh, out on bail. Or uh, I guess he gets released from prison. And him and his henchmen go back to the mansion to you know celebrate with a bottle of champagne. And, and the Punisher's not too far behind. And, you know, we're only five minutes into this film, and he brutally murders five people right in front of us. He cleans house. It's uh, The guy makes the terrible, I would say, rookie mistake of uh, challenging the Punisher on live television. Mm-hmm. He says, if the Punisher comes at me, I'll teach him what it's like to be punished or something like that. And then before you know it, uh, he's dead and his bodyguards are dead. 
We see the Punisher leave the scene of the crime, go back to the scene of the crime, and we're introduced to basically our secondary character, uh, Lieutenant Frank Berkowitz, played by Academy Award winner uh, Louis Gossett Jr. Um, he's a no-nonsense type of guy. Um, we're immediately introduced to who will become his, you know, his second hand throughout the film, uh, Sam Leary, played by Nancy Everhard. Um, which just... Samantha Leary. Yeah. She goes, Sam. And he's like, Sam? Samantha. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for the clarification. <laughs> Thank you. She has a hinkling that Frank Castle is the Punisher. And, you know... You... Yeah, Lou Gossett Jr., he's really good, but uh, his poker face is not... <laughs> yeah. He, it leaves a lot to be desired. Cause she, what she... <laughs> would make you think that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on. And, and I guess they're the only two people that know... Uh, that Castle is a Punisher. I, I really like Gossett Jr. here. I mean, we were talking about it while we're watching the movie, and he was the best thing in the movie. And it's not because anything else is bad, but he's just, he has the luxury of, he's not playing a comic book character. He's just the character that grounds us in the mm-hmm. story. So he brings the gravitas. And, and you, I mean, it's Lou Gossett Jr., so of course you wouldn't be surprised to know mm-hmm. that he can carry it. So all this, you know, these hits going down on the mob and the Franco crime family being depleted over the past five years has caused uh, the head of the family, uh, Gianni Franco, played by uh, Jerome Crabe, to come out of retirement. And basically he has this big master plan that he's going to unite all the families and, you know, they're going to go in on this one big dope score and everything, all the power is going to be, you know, put back together because they have to basically pick up the pieces that were left behind from the Punisher. Uh, yeah, he's basically this guy. I mean, he's great, but I couldn't help but wish that that was Eric Roberts playing him. Dude, uh, no joke. It, yes, isn't that like the perfect Eric Roberts? Uh, uh, Especially role? towards the end, some of the confrontations they yes. had. I yeah, just like... I just I wanted him to be Eric Roberts so bad, but that's I mean, it's not his fault. He he rises to the occasion. He's he makes a badass bad guy. So the plan is that they're going to have this five million dollar score of dope come into the shore. Um, here, you know. We're kind of curious where the Punisher gets all his intel, and there is a gentleman by the name of Shake, who's a homeless drunk, played by Barry Otto. That he's an actor. He is an actor. He's a stageman, a thespian. Uh, apparently, he has his ear to these things, and he is the liaison to the Punisher. And basically, all Castle has to do is just give him copious amounts of booze, and he'll feed him information. Uh, it makes sense, and I like that they went with a character that, as far as I can tell, he's not from the comics. Uh, I'm not the biggest uh, Punisher comics fan, but I've read a few, and I'm familiar with most of the cast and the villains. And That was something that I liked in the movie. I think that other than the Punisher himself, Frank Castle, nobody else in this movie is is a comic book character. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also, other than Dolph Lundgren and, and uh, Lou Gossett Jr., you don't have any big names uh Dude, Nancy Everhard. Well, yeah, of course, but (laughs) for the average audience, uh, which is good. I think that sometimes when you get big names, it can be distracting. Mm -hmm. Uh, But here, no, it just allows you to get into that world. And and also because you are not bringing any any characters that have been preconceived in the comics, then you can really go crazy with, with them. So now you have the Punisher having a sidekick that's a drunk British actor, and that's cool. One of the Avengers' biggest failings is that it's too overloaded with stars. It, right, and everybody's no to, fighting yeah. for the spotlight. Yeah. So as this dope score comes into the shore, um, the Yakuza, who had not previously been mentioned in the story, but they're in on it. They crash the party. They kill a shit ton of uh, wise guys, as the police refer to them. Uh, they try to take off with the score. The Punisher's on the scene, and you know he does what he can to he does what he can to stop this um in the process though he gets knifed 
by uh, the leader who will come to find out here in the next few scenes is a is a woman, despite the fact that they clearly made her up to be one. Uh, her outfit was a bit tighter and a bit more skimpy than the others. That... It's a big reveal anyway, because, you know, why not have fun with it? Exactly, exactly. I, I think that uh, later on there's a similar reveal, and the reveal is just that the woman is not Asian. Yeah, different. It's just oh, she was a blonde, but uh... she's like Danny from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> uh, so we quickly come to find out the Yakuza is planning this huge takeover. They crash this big meeting that the Franco family's having. They try to cut him a deal. They say, you know, we'll let you in on our deal. You know, we're going to take seventy five percent. You'll take the rest. Take it or leave it, type thing. Uh, the leader of the Yakuza is Lady Tanaka, played by Kim Miori. Um, very intimidating, very good stage presence, I'd say. You know, she kind of commands the screen when she's on it. Uh, there's so many, this movie's from 89, so there's so many things that you kept reminding me of. And then we realized, oh, these are movies that came out later. So actually, this movie inspired them. So, of course, I'm thinking about Lucy Liu's character in Kill Bill. Absolutely. You know, because the way she, she carries herself into the room and just completely commands everybody's mm-hmm. attention. And that's, that's literally Tarantino drawing directly from this movie. Uh, that, that was, and also, there is, I mean, we completely skipped what's probably the sexiest sequence in a superhero movie ever, which is Frank Castle uh, praying in the sewers. While naked. Oh, yes, correct. He's praying, basically. He lives in the sewers at this point in his life. Um, He's literally hit rock bottom. (laughs) And he prays in front of what looks to be this big furnace. And, yeah, we get a shot of him twice. Uh, Basically, he is the narrator. He's the conscience of the film. So we, we get an insight to his brain at several points in the film. And he's basically praying... It's amazing that he still has a, a belief in God. And, you know, I, this immediately reminded me of, um, and, you know, this was probably directly lifted from this, the trope that uh, Numi Rapace has in uh, Prometheus, where she can't give up her belief in God despite right. all the uh, surrounding evidence around her that she should. Going down that line, the Alien franchise, I mean, when we're, the big reveal that that's Castle praying in the sewers, we start with what's basically the alien cam from uh, Alien 3 mm-hmm. going down the sewers until it reaches him. And, you know, you see him, he's, uh, his back is to us. And uh, we just get to appreciate uh, Dolph Lundgren's sexy body from behind. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's, that's the alien cam that Fincher would later use in Alien 3 years later. But he's praying to his God. He's saying, I've waited for so long for you to tell me why the innocent are dead and the guilty still live. And... That's where he takes the sense of self-righteousness to punish the guilty. He thinks it's it's up to him to do so. And, you know, not in the conventional sense, but a hero will rise type of tale. So after the Franco family completely declines the offer, uh, basically the Yakuza figure out, all right, we're just going to hold them up for all their fucking money and we're going to kidnap their children. So in a sense, you know, what I really appreciate about the writing of this film is it kind of turns it on its ear, especially in an, a time period where the mob film was so, you know, big and popular it kind of does this thing where it humanizes the mob and doesn't make them seem as you know bigger beings but they're they're family men uh, yeah absolutely it, it goes even further it just makes them it turns them into schmucks because the entire time they're getting their asses handed to them by the yakuza mm-hmm. they uh every time they try to act like they're they're badasses and they they know what they're doing the yakuza are a step ahead of them and uh i mean it literally the transition is uh not eric roberts saying we're going to war. And then you think that the next cut is going to show them doing something to the Yakuza, but instead the next shot is the Yakuza taking the kids. Yeah. So it's like, you, you, they never stand a chance. No, the Yakuza is one step ahead of the game each, each way they go. 
and just so violent, like every chance they get, like, um, and in just really sneaky ways, like the women's earrings or blades that they can throw at them and lots of stabbing. It's just, I just really, here's the thing. A Punisher movie has to be radar, which already, yeah. like, it takes out the, the Thomas Jane Punisher. That's like, it takes it out of the equation from the beginning. Because a PG-13 Punisher, it's not a Punisher movie. A Punisher movie has to be radar because it deals with adult themes that you really, that's not for teenagers. It's for adults, like the violence and just the fact that naked Dolph Lundgren, naked Dolph Lundgren. And, and also, you know, just putting kids in danger. Like it happens all throughout this movie. That's, that's what you call adult content. Yes. There are some scenes of children just getting beaten, quite frankly. Yes. And you know, you just, just, Rated, rated this R ain't your and you Iron Man too. This ain't, you oh, know, no, this no. isn't pleasant and fun time for the whole family. Um, so Shake pretty much pleads with the Punisher. He's like, "Look, these kids are taken hostage, and I can't do Shake's dialogue justice because he always makes a rhyme out of everything. <laughs> it's like he's on stage." Uh, but you can see the struggle, and you know, Lundgren is you know gets a lot of shit for being monotone. Uh, but in this scene, just his physical acting and like the expression on his face, the internal anguish that he's faced with, because he doesn't want to help out the mob, but he understands that innocent children are at stake. You can have, you can be monotone and still have emotions, and this movie's proof of that. It's, it's, it, it it shows. I mean, it's all in his eyes. Yeah, really. And sometimes it's just the way that he turns his head to look at the drunk guy and then look away and start his motorcycle. And you just know that something happened in there mm-hmm. just because you can't quite tell what happened. doesn't mean that there's not like inner workings in there. So yeah, I, I completely appreciate his performance. Uh, he is aided by the props and the costuming and everything. Mm-hmm. I think it all adds to the persona of the Punisher and it helps him uh, when it comes to, to his performance. But uh, yeah, that's talent. That's the best Dolph Lundgren performance I've seen by far. And Lundgren really lays the groundwork in this for the the Vin Diesel school of communicating verbally without ever moving your lips. Absolutely. He really, he he began that trend here. Minimalistic speaking. Yes, exactly. Uh, So Gianni Franco, you know, he knows the entire history of Lady Tanaka. He basically goes on... um, Goes on to tell the Kaiser Zose story. Exactly, yes. <laughs> Which Brian Singer would lift 10 years later for The Usual Suspects. It's true. He goes into this big you know, monologue to his men. He's like, hey, this woman ain't just nobody. You know, you know, She killed her own brother with her bare hands type of thing. And so he knows that she's not to be fucked with. Um, which basically just goes to hit home the fact that these guys should be scared shitless for their children. But instead, they don't seem. I mean, they're angry. They're, they seem they're not concerned about their children. They're just like angry that they got. Well, Franco's <laughs> the only one that seems to be genuinely concerned. But other. he's also smart enough not to trust the yakuza. All the others are kind of going along with their plans. Yeah, so. they're gonna bring him the money, all that good stuff. So Frank basically figures out at this point, you know, I need to do something. So he crashes the yakuza casino night. I'm not quite sure where it is. Somewhere downtown. Um, he repels from the ceiling and i think he only kills one person but he unloads a shit ton of arsenal at this <laughs> he and does a lot of property damage he does there. and he picks up one of the men and he's he basically explains i'm gonna destroy everything that you guys have i'm gonna cost you money every day that those kids are still in captivity i mean he only killed one person there i mean that's what it looks like but later on we find out that the damages it cost him two million dollars yeah exactly and that's 1989 dollars yeah 
So he knew what he was doing. He has a big old assault rifle, like a, a cannon on his shoulder. And he we get this really long, drawn-out shot of him. You know, I think this was uh, Goldblatt just kind of experimenting with his own things. And, you know, the the Judd Apatow thing of, well, let's just see how many feet of film we can make out of it. So uh, we do <laughs> this, get... This is what it looks like when Dolph Lundgren is improvising. Exactly. But we do get the amazing, you know, he acts when he shoots a gun he has a different set of emotions yes. when he's firing which a gun. i love it because and that's that goes directly against those critics that say that he he just doesn't have any emotion that he doesn't emote he emotes every time he pulls the trigger it's amazing mm-hmm. and it's something that all the other punishers fail to do and i i actually appreciate it because to me the punisher works best as a character that yeah, he may be tortured or whatever, but he does get a kick out of killing the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And here you see Dolph Lundgren really getting off on just shooting and destroying everything. And that doesn't make him a bad guy. That just adds to his character. So now is as good a time as any to bring this up. Um, obviously, the Punisher, the iconic symbol, is the skull. Uh, in this film, the skull is represented in two ways. Um, what the director and the aesthetic was going for is Lundgren is incredibly pale in his face and the way that his five o'clock shadow is shaved basically when the light hits him right his face is meant to resemble the skull but more importantly the daggers that he throws has the skull at the top of him right that's his calling card yeah for, for those people who didn't who didn't uh catch it uh, with the five o'clock shadow then you get at least the little daggers see that's what's genius about it there's the subtle and then there's the obvious pleasing everybody but yay or nay on the daggers? Do you like that he has like a calling card? I I wrote down on my notes lots of knife play in this movie, which I appreciate because really, if it's just gunfights, they can get boring if that's all you get. So I eighties was very heavy on blades. Eighties was the golden age of mindless action movies, and I'm not using mindless as a derogatory term. I'm talking about like just fun. You know, the whole like we don't need the backstory, we don't need. Uh, we don't need to make sense, you know. Mm-hmm. These days, people will be like, "Well, how doesn't he run out of bullets?" Yeah. Or, or you know, but what about the, the all the all the collateral damage, whatever? These days, the problem is that now you need screenwriters, directors. They feel the need to justify every single act of violence that happens. And mm-hmm. now you have the Avengers having to do community service because I don't know a building blew up in their latest adventure. In the 80s, you didn't have to slow down to deal with that. The 80s yeah. was just like, fuck it. We're just destroying it because and we need to get the bad guy. It was great. You know, you didn't have to PC. You didn't have to wear condoms. Like, it was a much better time to exactly. be alive. And, you know, it was like, if the movie's rated art, then go crazy like they do in this movie with the fucks and the racial slurs and the violence toward kids. It was just like, because you know what? That's the way bad guys talk. So mm-hmm. it makes it more believable. It makes them more killable when they die. You're like, oh, that's right, because that was a racist motherfucker. <laughs> so I'm glad that he died. <laughs> so that's that's been taken away from us. And I understand. I mean, as a society, you know, I guess you need to have these movies that are a little more socially conscious. But still, it's a shame that that. Uh, but again, the point is. It, that is not the story of the Punisher. The Punisher is gritty and exactly, dirty, yes. and you know exactly what this captured. Right, but we have created a, a system now where a character like the Punisher cannot exist mm-hmm. because even if you see the most recent incarnation in the Netflix Daredevil 
show. I mean, they just bend over backwards to justify everything he's done. And, and it's like, no, 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 he didn't really kill this guy. And, and no, he was being framed. And no, he was uh, clinical unsta- clinically unstable. It's like, just let me enjoy the Punisher being the Punisher. Exactly. He just killed people. And there are people, there are other characters that are better than him morally, and they get to stop him. You don't have to make him this gray area guy that, you know, not everything has to be justified. Sometimes a guy can just, like, kill people. Fucking Arnold, the Terminator. They had to turn him into a good guy. He was a ruthless <laughs> killing machine in the 80s. I yes, mean, and, then, and then they're like, well, no, now we need to give him a catchphrase. Well, no, he already had the catchphrase. Now we have to, like, really dumb down his catchphrase. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, that was, that was bad. But the 80s, you know, this 89 is coming to the end of it, mm-hmm. and... Uh, Oh, they blew out the decade like with a bang, so to speak. No <laughs> pun intended. But uh, yeah, I thought the to go back to the original point. I really dug the daggers. I thought you know it's interesting because in the comic books, it's always the the villain that has the calling card, and that and you know that the Punisher is kind of the the antihero, or obvious is an obvious antihero. But at the same time, I think it's good. Um, Kind of like the Batman thing, just good to let you know the other villains and bad guys know out there that hey, someone's fucking watching you, so fly straight. I'm um, one of the great things that uh, the latest Batman vs Superman movie did was they gave Batman that calling card where he was branding the bad guys. That was amazing. I, I, I wanted more of that. Hopefully, we'll get more of that in the Justice League movie. Yes. <laughs> so Frank Castle, um, I believe it's Shake. That gets word of where the hideout is for the Yakuza. I couldn't really piece together what was going on there. But it looks like an, it, it's, it is an abandoned amusement park. Yes. That's echoes, where they get word that they're holding the kids hostage. Uh, future echoes of the killing joke, right? Because the killing joke. Dude. Did, <laughs> right? I didn't want to say that while we were watching it because I was like, maybe Julio will think the same thing. But yeah, that's like, because we just saw that a few weeks ago. But yeah, exactly. Abandoned amusement park. I was just expecting naked Jim Gordon to be like splayed out at any point in time. Or... Uh, uh, not Eric Roberts come out with that song and just start like, doing a little <laughs> musical number before uh, the Punisher unleashed hell. Yeah. Um, if that happened, I guarantee it wouldn't have fallen as flat as the Killing Joke film did. <laughs> uh, so they're at this big abandoned amusement park. Uh, they have been told that's where the kids are being held captive. Uh, uh, Frank Castle tells Shake just to stand guard he doesn't even leave him with a weapon at this point i don't think and shakes asks for a weapon oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and castle is like nope <laughs> but, he, but stay here <laughs> he should have just given him a whistle if a war breaks out just <laughs> blow on this so he goes into the fun house there's all the different slides and mirrors and things like that and it quickly turns into a big shootout and like i said we were watching i had immediate flashbacks to uh teenage mutant ninja turtles from i believe the same year the because it it's smoky and dusty, and then all the guys in black come out. It really looked like the Foot Clan fighting with Raphael and uh, Casey Jones. Yeah, it, it's a badass action sequence because they come out sliding through like the what are they slides? I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and it goes from being an awesome shootout to them becoming an awesome fist fight. He's surrounded by the yakuza, and he. He puts up a fight, but eventually he comes down. He goes down. It's like swimming. Billy Bob Thornton at the end of the Alamo. Like he, he yes. puts up a solid fight, but it's in vain. Which um, I appreciate because honestly, there was no way he was winning that one. No, it, it was good for for the movie to show us that he he can fail, and he can fail hard. And after failing, he is captured, and he wakes up on what is basically um, a so James Bond sequence. Exactly. It's a it's a. a mechanical bed kind of type thing where they have chains there's rollers on them they have chains tied chains excuse me tied to his hands and his feet 
Point being, they're trying to basically pull him apart from the inside out. Um, yeah, they ask him who sent him, and then he refuses the to... Batman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> them trying to, to jumpstart a crossover that would never happen. But still, <laughs> appreciate it. I, but that is perfect. Like, the exact two opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of superheroes. Yeah, did you ever read the... the there were two Batman Punisher crossovers, like in the comics. Like real ones? Real ones, yeah. It was, uh, and actually, I think that one is with Bruce Wayne as Batman, and the other one is with uh, uh, the guy that replaced Batman when Batman was, you know, he got his back broken by Bane. Mm-hmm. So then there's like a, another guy being Batman for like was a couple years. Dick uh, Grayson? No, 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 no. Before Dick Grayson took over as Batman, oh, okay. it was like this guy that goes kind of crazy, and he wore like a Batman armor. And uh, Batman Beyond? No, <laughs> that's the future. <laughs> no, it was, it was this guy. Uh, he used to go by Asriel before he became Batman. Man, oh okay, super yeah. geeky right now. But, no, but anyway, the first crossover was with him, and then the second crossover is with Bruce Wayne. And I think that kind of like with the first Batman because he's kind of crazy, he gets along, and then he crosses over with uh, he teams up with Bruce Wayne, and Bruce Wayne's like, "You're fucking crazy." <laughs> uh, so, but this that was obviously much later because that was like the '90s, and this is '89. So again, this is planting the seed for something that they knew could be awesome if it ever happened. Because um, probably, oh, this movie we'll get into that later. Never had a United States theatrical release, but you know, Batman Mania would have been rampant at that point. With oh yeah, that's right. Well, that was just getting started. Yeah. yeah. This is truly my favorite scene in the film because they're trying to get this information out of him, and they're torturing him, and he's not giving them shit. And they say, okay, you know, you don't care about yourself. Let's see how you do with others. Cross uh, camera pans out the table next to him, shakes on there, and they're torturing him. He looks over at him, shows no emotion, and then just looks back over to his side. Love it. That would never happen in a superhero movie today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They would feel the need to to either get him out of the hook somehow and, and, you know, show that, oh, that was his plan all along. or, Or they just wouldn't do it. Like, he would break. But no, here they have absolutely no qualms showing that he was ready to let his friend die. <laughs> yeah, it's great too. And you know, for all the crap that those critics gave Lunger, and he sometimes you don't need to say anything. A look can do it all. Yeah, and and he got that look down pat. The whole "I don't give a shit" look. Mm-hmm. It's that's he wears it throughout the movie, and it works. So he basically figures out how to <laughs> free himself. There's a loose bolt on one of his cuffs <laughs> that he. Uh, and, you know, in that typical classic 80s Arnold vein of, you know, you got to have the catchphrase, he calls over one of the Yakuza hitmen. He's like, I got to tell you something. <laughs> Frees his arm, grabs a gun, and says, Sayonara, and shoots him. And that it, it was sequence, needed at that point. Yeah, time. I think, well, yeah, we need the levity. We need the humor. And really, this is the one sequence. It's very telling that the sequence where he's at his lowest because he's been captured, he's been tortured. That's when he gets quippy. Mm-hmm. You know, he has the Batman line, and then. When the they stop, they get tired of torturing him. So they walk away. And mm-hmm. as they're walking away, he's like, hey, have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs> it's like stand-up hour for the Punisher when he's like tied down and being tortured. Uh, but then, yeah, he manages to escape. Lady Tanaka, and I've never got the name of her female henchman. But the, the blonde ninja. Yeah, they're both very clearly smitten with Dolph Lundgren. And this is the... First scene where we get him, you know, completely shirtless with a, a full body profile, and you know he—I mean, we saw him naked in the in the but, sewers, but, but, he but that was, was the was rear to, shot, <laughs> right? That was the rear shot. This is the first time that we see like he's fucking Ivan Drago, man. He's a 
big, juiced-up motherfucker. At this point in time, Frank Castle realizes the only way that these kids are going to get freed is if he does it himself. So basically begins planning off his uh, rescue that he's going to execute to make sure that all these children get freed. Uh, meanwhile, Berkowitz and uh, Sam are in the sewers. You know They've tracked down the location. Uh, Sam has tracked down the location of where she believes the Punisher is to be. Yeah, she's the, she's the plucky uh, newcomer, and, and Lou Gossett Jr. is the jaded cop. And so she is showing him the internet, or what passes the internet. And my and, favorite part of the computer was it just said in big print at the top, Hewlett Packard. <laughs> yes. She's she's looking, you know, this movie didn't just predict future or influence future movies, but it also influenced the development of the internet because they basically, they Google map the location of Frank Castle, kind of. Mm-hmm. She's figured out how to, you know, she's marked all the sites where, uh, where Castle has ever killed anyone. And she's like, well, now we can figure out a location from this. And then Gossett Jr. is like, you know nothing. He says something like, I'm on top of it. And she goes, what about below? And that's when they lead to the <laughs> they sewer. Go to the sewers. But there we get the big exposition from Berkowitz about how they used to be partners and how everything went awry and how Berkowitz was a, a helpless drunk and that Frank Castle saved him from the bottle. And then, you know, Frank Castle went mad and lost him. So... As much as Berkowitz, for legal reasons, has been trying to capture the Punisher for his own moralistic sake, he's been trying to save Frank Castle. And it's very, this is, like you said, this is exposition, but it's delivered very casually, very, it's classy exposition. It, mm-hmm. We don't get this info dump that really drives a movie. It's just like, okay, now it's time to fill in a little bit. And it really is more about the character of Louis Gossett Jr. than it is about Frank Castle. The reason that 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 it does nothing to like humanize or get you behind Frank Castle. It just gives you much more backstory on Berkowitz. Exactly, it's a scene about him, and so that's good. That's what you don't see these days. Mm -hmm. Uh, Following up, as you said, uh, going back a few paces about how uh, Gianni Franco's a bit smarter than the other men in the mob. He doesn't trust the Yakuza and go along with it. The other big four guys, you know, the head of the families, they meet with their money that they're going to give to the Yakuza, and they're just waiting. They get their champagne delivered, and they're a bit happy. They think everything's going to be just fine. Just like, but like I said, they, they're really they're a schmucks. They're, they're just such douchebags. Their kids are not have not been delivered to them yet, and you, they're drinking. Yeah, <laughs> just like. they're toasting to it. Uh, the Yakuza shows up. Lady Tanaka's there. And basically explains, you guys are fucking idiots. She poisons them with the champagne. Uh, the one homeboy who didn't have any because he was on medication. He was the guy that uh, she broke his arm earlier because he right. tried to challenge her. Um, basically, she says, if you won't have the drink, at least take the chaser. And takes his gun out and shoots him in the face with it. it it's pretty amazing. She was... I mean, the game was rigged. Because even if they hadn't drank any of them... If none of them had drank the champagne... Well, the whole restaurant apparently was loaded. Was armed. With, yeah, it was loaded with Yakuza agents that would have killed him anyway. So they were done, but Gianni was smart enough to know, maybe I shouldn't be there. Uh, Punisher steals a bus. He, we get a bus driver who's stopping to get some coffee, and his bus takes off. Uh, there's still a drunk hobo on there that said, you missed my stop. And this is one of the more humanizing Frank Castle moments. He stops, and <laughs> sorry about that, and lets him off. That would have been the Stan Lee cameo. Yes, these days. That was the movie being ahead of its time. I mean, I guess Stan Lee wouldn't sign off on a radar cameo. but but Where he plays a drunk hobo. (laughs) Right. But it's perfect. Uh, So he rolls up. He knows at this point where the kids are being held captive. 
He frees all of them um, except for Tommy, the son of uh, Gianni Franco, and also uh, a little girl. My ni- her name's not coming to me at this point in time. Kelsey Kelly, something like that. Um, so he goes back Kathy? in. Kathy, to- I think it's Kathy. Yeah, um, she went behind, or she stayed behind to save her doll. That was it. And Tommy was held in a different cage because he was getting too feisty with the guards. There was the scene where. Um, the kids started fighting amongst themselves. The guards came in and broke break them up. He pushed Lady Tanaka and then broke <laughs> the a chair over one of the henchmen's back. Uh, they throw him across the room and then one of them backhands him. Yeah, the the kid playing Tommy, I don't know if he ever went on to do more things, but if this was the only thing he ever did in his acting career... He went on to be Pacey on Dawson's Creek. No. I'm kidding. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> Uh, but no, he he does great. He's actually he's highlighted from the beginning because the first time that we, that we meet uh, Franco, he's having dinner with uh, with one of the other mobsters, and little Tommy is there. And Tommy gets to show off his magic skills that he uh, learned when he was studying abroad. He makes a quarter disappear, and he kind of has a lip on him. So of course, it comes as no surprise when later, when he's being taken captive, he's the only one that stands up to the mobsters. Which ends up with him being put in a separate cell. And that whole build to that's pretty interesting too and almost kind of fascinating that you do have that first scene with them that really shows that, you know, Franco, he may be the leader of the mob, but he's like a dad first type thing. It really right. he gives you family. something to cling on to for his kids. He, he gives him extra cheesecake. What it does is also, it just makes it so that when the kids are taking hostage, it's not just these faceless hostages. You actually know Tommy, so you... Yeah. And you know his dad. You've seen them have a relationship, so that makes sense. Uh, but also, there's that scene that they have, that one scene where all the kids are together and they start talking, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, this is because of our fathers." And Tommy's like, "No," yeah. and they're like, "Oh yeah, no, they're mobsters. Don't you know this?" <laughs> Your dad's the biggest mobster of all. Yeah, so that's that's cool because you get to see an angle that you usually don't see when it comes to criminals. Yeah. So Frank's able to get all the kids except for Tommy. He. Uh, Takes them all, he loads them in the bus, there's a big chase scene, he manages to bob and weave and kill a bunch of mobsters along the way, and uh, also members of the Yakuza, and he comes to the police line, they basically form a huge barricade at the end of town, he pulls over, lets all the kids out first, obviously the cops pull their guns back, and then Frank gets out and turns himself in. He turns himself in after... Such a badass chase scene that really, I mean, Speed's got nothing on it. And Speed came later, so you could argue that Speed was inspired by this, Mm -hmm. what, five-minute sequence of him driving a bus full of kids. And it's amazing. I mean, there's a point where, like, a mobster is clinging to one of the windows, and the kids are trying to get him to Batting his hand off. Yes, it's so good. And there's one also, one of the Yakuza members is able to, like, jump through the fire exit in the back of the bus (laughs) and run up. (laughs) And Dolph takes out one of his blades and gives him the what for. Um, so when he turns himself in, we do get, you know, the only scene where Gossett Jr. and Lundgren are on screen at the same time. That's true. It's the, the Pacino De Niro yeah. heat moment. Well, and this is like the miracle worker scene. Like he's like <laughs> slapping him around. Gossett Jr. comes in and says, where's Frank? Cause, uh, he's telling him, you know, Frank's dead. It's just the Punisher now. And yeah, this is where he's like, well, had he gotten the Oscar by then? Was he was he an Oscar winner? Gossett Jr. Yeah, yeah. He uh, this was eighty two was uh, Officer and Gentleman. Officer and Gentleman okay. was eighty two. That's when he won for that. But he's where he he shows his bona fides. Oh, he's dude, like... he flexes here, and you know you can tell <laughs> Oscar clip. 
Oh, even so, like I, this had to be a first take because you can see in Lundgren's face <laughs> in a few parts he wasn't ready for the beating that came right. at him. But yeah, it was uh, really good because you know, not even twenty minutes prior we got that really good backstory into that, and then you felt the emotion of you know where Gossett Jr. was coming from in terms of like motherfucker you saved me and then you left me like i needed you where have you been type thing you killed 125 people like what the fuck it might be the first time that we've gotten an actual number to put with the punisher's activities Mm -hmm. where it's six i mean i'm sure that i've heard a number of of casualties in every punisher movie but this is the one where for some reason when they say 125 counts of homicide it just sticks with you for the rest of the movie (laughs) It's a really good number, too, because you can break it down really easily. It was 25 people per year that he killed. So, um, but at We the got s- to the 26. Like, oh, nope. You're going to have to wait till 88. Merry Christmas. <laughs> but all things considered, one of the most admirable things about this scene is that Berkowitz is trying to help Frank Castle. He says, you need to talk to me. I want to help you here. And he won't give him anything. And but he it's said, also- you're going to fry. <laughs> yes. But it's it also it gets to the heart of the movie, the the big question of the movie that every Punisher incarnation should get at. And I guess sometimes they try to, but I don't think they ever do it as successfully as this one, which is is the Punisher a bad guy? And Lou Gossett Jr. is a hundred percent convinced that the Punisher is in the wrong. Mm-hmm. And we as members of the audience we get to choose because if you're like me, you're like, I don't know, he's only I mean, he even the Punisher says it, I only kill the guilty. And really, show me one single person that we see him killing in this movie that didn't deserve it. Yeah. Right? And Gilson Jr. is like, well, the courts get to decide that. But I don't know. I mean, the courts are overcrowded. And it's it's really, I understand. I, I was able to see both points of view. But it is, it, it, and that just goes even further beyond like this film in terms of that there are those people that truly believe what the court decides is what it is and then the other people are like no justice needs to be served a certain way and right um we're always like just one step away from an actual punisher coming out yeah and this movie it, it, it calling society on their shit like exactly. way before it was necessary to yep but here we move along to a scene that's eerily familiar from uh christopher nolan's the dark knight that would come a near 20 years later uh that's they're going to transport Frank uh, to the local courthouse because he's going to go to his hearing, but they have to do so in an armored vehicle. And, and Gossett Jr. is not with him because he just gave up on him. Exactly. <laughs> like, fuck this guy. He literally says, by the way, yeah, this is, uh, I mean, Open I've kind this of. goddamn door. <laughs> well, like, he tells him like three or four times while he's slapping. He's like, fuck you, fuck yeah. you. And it's like, this movie takes that R rating and just goes for it. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that's fine. It works for the movie. It almost, it, at one point on my notes, I wrote, did Tarantino do a pass on this movie? Because the number of fucks, you know how in like every, every Quentin Tarantino uh, script they're like in this one he did 256 fucks in yeah. this one I mean I don't know Punisher has to be in the like close to the 200s at least from everybody good guys bad guys I could literally see Tarantino with this exact cast making a really good interpretation of the Punisher oh, the Punisher yeah. yeah but yeah he's in an armored vehicle that's trying to you know convoy him across town uh, they're derailed by the mob that needs to get at uh, Frank Castle they knock over the vehicle, open it up. They take him hostage. Uh, the mob captures him. They have him tied up. Basically, uh, Franco comes out. 
they make sure he's awake and subdued, or uh, at least tied down before Franco comes out and said, your family wasn't supposed to die. <laughs> if I could take that back, I would, which I thought was really cool because Frank, they force him to look at him, so they're <laughs> right. like mushing Dolph Lundgren's face to stare at him. <laughs> watch him do this apology, which later the would, boy be, watch. It, it would be referenced in uh, Face Off when Nick Cage tells Travolta, your son was not supposed to die. I was trying to kill you. Mm-hmm. But you had to take it so personally. <laughs> so he says, you're going to help me get my son back. And, you know, Frank says, fuck you. And then he's like, okay, well, fine. They have Berkowitz hostage. And they have him tied up. They put a gun to his head. And this is the part, you know, Frank wouldn't open up to him directly. But you can see that he still cares for him. And he says, okay, I'm going to help you out. But just know, as soon as your son's safe, you're dead. Yeah, it's uh, very smartly. The bad guys also have uh, uh, Lou Gossett Jr.'s mouth taped. So he can't really say anything. Because otherwise, it would be just this competition of fuck you, fuck you between the two of them. (laughs) (laughs) They'd just be spitting at each other back and forth pretty much. Punisher and Gianni Franco show up to the Yakuza headquarters that were introduced to earlier in the film. It's a big skyscraper downtown that they have to have the special key to get to the 40th floor for. And they interrupt uh, samurai training, it looks like. Yeah. How do you kill a room full of ninjas with two machine guns? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's great. There's like 50 ninjas and they all take their samurai swords out and they all get wasted immediately by these machine guns. Yeah. um, It's pretty impressive that Gianni Franco, uh, he... He goes into the, 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 he takes action. Because at first he tells the Punisher, he says, it needs to be you because I can't do it. But I guess what he meant is, I can't do it by myself. Mm-hmm. But then he just goes in there, he puts on the sweet jacket, pops the collar, and he's just one more, more agent. It's, it's the Punisher, it's uh, uh, Johnny Franco, and uh, Shakes. Shake, yeah, he's back, and he's the watchman. At this point, he does get a gun, though. He gets a gun and a switch because they plant they plant some plastic explosive around the building. Yeah, desperate times call for desperate measures. And of course, Shake, like the drunk fucking idiot that he is, he drops it down a sewer grate, and eventually he has to shoot it because he can't reach it with his own hands. Um, but yeah, Franco and Castle just clean house. Uh, big elongated dramatic scenes, lights going in and out, things of that of them, you know, going to task. Uh, we get kind of an interwoven final showdown. We get the blonde ninja and Frank Castle and their battle uh, interwoven with Franca and Lady Tanaka. Yeah, it's a little bit like uh, w- w- when you go into the uh, you're in a video game and you get into you're in an action video game and you get to the last stage and you're just going like floor by floor. Yeah, and you start fighting these mini bosses before you get to the final boss, and then the one before the final boss in this case is the blonde ninja who has been teased as this badass fighter before you get there like he fights two ninjas Mm -hmm. that are are too good to be shot down like they actually get like into hand hand fighting and then the blonde ninja and then of course lady tanaka who's got the drop on uh franco she yeah she has uh tommy uh with a knife to his throat and basically uh let us not skip over how frank castle wastes the blonde ninja he strangles her and then snaps her neck it and there's not really any background music, so it's just like this brutal scene that you have to watch. And that is fine. You know what I mean? Like the, these days, it's the unforgiving nature of the Punisher. Well, yeah, and it makes sense in the context of the movie. Can you imagine how weird it would be if, after everything you've seen, somehow the blonde ninja didn't get killed that way? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's a natural conclusion to the buildup of how horrible the violence has been in this movie. If he ended up just kind of like knocking her out 
which is what would happen in a movie these days because, yeah. oh, God forbid that you actually show like violence to... But it makes sense, too, in the context of the movie because everything he tries to do to take her out... She has an answer for. She can stab him with her earrings. Right, she has. She has her those shoes that have blades. The, on the razors side. on them. Yeah. So like, it's the only thing he can do to like negate her attack. And then, yeah, it, I mean, it's it's shocking, but it makes sense in the context of the story. But then, uh, Lady Tanaka's got Tommy hostage, you know, knife to his throat, and Franco is just, you know, I'll do whatever. She says, "Get down on your knees and put the gun in his mouth, or put the gun in your mouth." That's her, her her special, like her favorite finishing move, right? Because mm-hmm. she did it with the other guy at the yeah. restaurant, where she just she's like, "Take the chaser," and she stuck the gun in his mouth. But she's gonna make Franco kill himself in front of his kid. Yeah, and she basically says, "You know, do it, and I'll let him go." How do I know you won't kill him? You won't, but some hope is better than none. It's it's ice cold, man. Um, and he's getting ready to pull the trigger uh, when, lo and behold, Frank Castle jumps out because it is. An Asian stereotype, after all, so all the walls are made of paper. Well, she's like Lady Tanaka. It's, it's made up as That's a That's right. As a she's like made up as a geisha for no reason during <laughs> yeah. the final scene. But it adds to the motif. You know, at WrestleMania, you have to wear your really special attire. So. Right, right. I mean, there's a reason why Frank was wearing that jacket with the popped-up collar. Yeah, and... you know, someone told him espionage, and he came out with his George Michael special. <laughs> he had his acid wash jacket. Nobody would ever you know, think that I'm the, <laughs> the head of the mafia. I would just be as inconspicuous as possible. <laughs> uh, so Frank Castle jumps from one of the paper walls, throws one of his final daggers. It goes right to the forehead of Lady Tanaka, knocks her out cold, uh, dead. And um, at that point in time, he's recovering. You know, he's kind of a bloody mess from all the battles he's been in. Franco gets up and says, my son is saved. He, you know, and he has this pretty cool little delivery he gives him about uh, all the other members are dead. Everything that I have, my son will inherit. And the only person he will have to fear, I'm about to kill. And he takes out the gun to kill the Punisher. And um, they get into a scuffle. And Tommy knows that the Punisher has done good. So he actually tries to save him at one he point. He tries to stop his dad a couple of times. And his dad keeps pushing him away. I mean, Tommy gets pushed a lot in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> he gets pushed around a lot. He gets pushed down a lot. And, uh, yeah, his dad is guilty of that here, too. But that is as good as the movie has been. This was really gripping. This is where I really appreciated uh, that this was not a watered down version of of this kind of story, mm-hmm. because the fact that they have uh, uh, the bad guy completely double cross the Punisher in a way that's consistent with the character, and that it also allows. Cause, uh, uh, if it was today, they would just have like shook hands, embraced, and then they would both go on to do good together. Oh, not even that. They would just maybe say like, "All right, well, next time we'll kill each other." But oh, today, yeah, yeah. today we part as as allies. No, here he's just like, "Well, I have you at my mercy." <laughs> <laughs> so how about we do the logical thing? Because let's not forget, I am a bad guy. Yeah. And uh, and then to have the kid there as part of it, and then here's what I really, really liked is the fact that Frank Castle does not spare his life. No. <laughs> because in a movie today, you would have him, you would think that you've been primed for this arc of like, oh, Castle has been told by Lou Gossett Jr. and by his conscience maybe that killing is wrong. So he's going to spare this guy because he will not kill this guy in front of his kid. Nope. Nope. <laughs> no, he kills him. They get in a little scuffle over the gun. Uh, it goes off. And uh, it's been well established at this point that Franco has a bulletproof vest on. Yeah, he gets shot like three times during the the taking of this building. But it looks like um, 
Frank shot him right under the armpit. He right. Get, he gets the gun right under there and shoots him. And dude falls dead. And yeah, it's one of those kind of ballsy endings of just like, no happy ending for you, man. No, that kid's car for life. I mean, he, he then grabs the gun and tries to shoot the, uh, the Punisher, but Castle is just like, all right, do it. No, yeah, this is actually, you're underselling how fucking awesome this scene is. Because <laughs> he pulls the gun out and he says, I'm going to kill you. And uh, Frank Castle turns around and says, good. Because if you do it now while you're a boy, you could grow up to be a good man. And he says, you know, if you do this now, maybe you won't grow up to be what your father was. And he gets on his knees in front of the kid, takes the gun and positions it square on his forehead. Right. And the kid starts crying. And you're like, I have not seen this level of acting in any of the other Punisher movies. (laughs) And yeah, he just can't do it. And he falls. He goes to fall uh, into the Punisher's arms. But the Punisher doesn't greet him. He just like... Yeah, he, Again, a movie today would have the Punisher embrace him. Yeah. But no, Lundgren is on point here. He just stays there stone-faced. He doesn't reciprocate the affection. Yeah, and he basically tells him, you done good, Tommy. And then you know, Tommy goes back to tend to his dad. At that point, Gossick Jr. comes back in. and uh, Despite being on the 40th floor of a building. <laughs> Not winded yet. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, Where is he? <laughs> and Frank Castle has disappeared back into the shadows and... Uh, Basically, the closing scene uh, outside of uh, Lundgren, you know, with his final uh, spiel is Gossett Jr. on the roof of that building. Frank! Frank! Setting up the sequel that never happened, but that I would have loved to see. Yeah. You know, I I think that... Where they become Gordon and Batman type thing. Right, yeah. yeah, Uneasy allies. Now that, you know, they've had their face-to-face, their heart-to-heart, and they're still both around. Yeah, and then it ends with basically the line that you would expect from a movie that was setting up for a sequel is, as long as the guilty remain, I will punish them. And we get one last shot of naked Dolph Lundgren before the credits roll. Well, yeah, because you got to reward the audience. (laughs) (laughs) We we hung in there. You know, we deserved a a payoff. Yeah. Alien cam. (laughs) Once more. All the the way to Dolph Lundgren's ass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sweaty they, dirty Dolph Lundgren yes they don't make them like they used to they do not it's, I mean can you imagine like Die Hard 6 like opening with Bruce Willis in the sewers just like a camp oh god I don't want to ever think about <laughs> another Die Hard again dude I keep thinking of another Die Hard because I'm like it has to redeem the franchise you need one more so it doesn't end on a down note and that's not just, just like a down note that's like <laughs> It's like it's like Frank Castle's lair. It's like underground. Exactly. <laughs> Literally hitting rock bottom. Uh, but yeah, fantastic 80s action movie that also happened to be a comic book movie mm-hmm. uh, that really... It, uh, I mean, we're talking about it. When you look at it and run tomatoes, it's like all the Punisher movies have been badly received by mm-hmm. the critics. But this one is the one that really deserved better. Yeah. And... One of those 80s action movies, too. You could show someone and they had no idea it was based off a comic book. They wouldn't be able to tell by the, the movie either. Right, they would just be like, oh, that's badass. Yeah. And then the next question would be like, why didn't they make more? <laughs> <laughs> Where is this Dolph Lundgren? <laughs> um, I'm ready for real talk. Let's get into it. I'm going to kill you. Good. Maybe if you get it over with now, you won't grow up to be like him.
grow up to be a good man. Because if not, I'll be waiting. And we are recording. Excellent. All right, so The Punisher, technically released in the United States in April, on April 25th, 1991. Uh, its original theatrical release was in Europe in October or on October 5th of 1989. So it eventually made it to the States. Not theatrically. Ah. So if I can here, a uh, little excerpt. The film was originally slated for a U.S. release in August of 1989. Trailers were created by New World promoting the film, and the film was shown at the Los Angeles Comic Book and Sci-Fi Convention. However, the film never received a theatrical release in the United States due to New World's financial difficulties, and instead was released direct on video on VHS and Laserdisc in 1991. Uh, it finally premiered theatrically, at the 2008 Escapism Film Festival in Durham, North Carolina, where director Mark Goldblatt screened his own personal 35mm print. That is adorable. Which he showed again in 2009 at the Dolph Lundgren Film Festival, hosted <laughs> by the New Beverly Theater. I don't know what the Dolph Lundgren Film Festival is, but I want to go to it. Absolutely. Uh, the New Beverly Theater is the theater that Tarantino runs now. Really? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that in mind, there wasn't much in the way of really a way to track its box office, uh, but the budget was $9 million. Again, it was directed by Mark Goldblatt, who's more known for his contributions as a film editor. Uh, the only other movie that I found that he directed was that uh, Deep Heat uh, with Treat, Treat Williams Treat Williams, and Joe Piscopo. Uh, it was written by Boz Yakin of Dirty Dancing, Havana Nights fame. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and again, stars Dolph Lundgren based on the Marvel comic book, um, a very low 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. But at the same time, right on par with all the other Punisher movies. So it's, a very, think, it's exactly what I said when we started. The, the story of the Punisher to begin with is a very polarizing one. Right. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of any Punisher Incarnations. I, I, that's not true. The Daredevil version that they have in like this new Netflix series, uh, it's it's good. I liked it well enough. Uh, the I was gonna say the Travolta movie, but really I guess it's a Thomas Jane movie with Travolta as a bad guy. Yeah. Not a fan. I really think that it's the PG the PG thirteen uh, really affects it, and uh, and it's also it's a portrayal of the Punisher that I particularly don't prefer. I like the Punisher as a crazy guy, and that one goes really out of its way to make him like very sympathetic and a more Max Payne. Exactly, yes. So they might as well have gotten uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg to play to play him, but alas, therein lies the question: What's a better film, the Thomas Jane Punisher or Max Payne with Mark Wahlberg? Uh, our friend Corey really likes uh, the Thomas Jane Punisher. Oh, I uh, thought you were saying he's like he liked Max Payne, and I was gonna be like. I don't know how he feels about Max good Payne. Man. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll hear about it. It's got Mila Kunis. It also has like. Uh, an Oscar clip from Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> That's now we have to. Yeah, now we have to do it. And there's a part where he like gets like tortured and giving information. It's great. Uh, anyway, this is a very fun, interesting, interesting film. Um, did we have any people that liked it? Uh, yes, yes, we do. Wow, I almost forgot <laughs> that we have actual positive quotes. Zuzi Fay from Time Out says, "Destructive, reprehensible, and marvelous fun." I wonder if she was punning on purpose or 
if she was not even aware that this is some, based on Marvel comics. <laughs> because the Marvelous is not with a, with a capital M. So I don't know. Boo. Um, TV Guide said, carefully tended facial stubble trimmed to give him a skull-like appearance. Lundgren is truly impressive as a character defined by emotional emptiness. It was a fake beard, homeboy. <laughs> it's not credited. It just said TV Guide. Okay. Uh, Kevin N. LaForest from Montreal Film Journal says, much better than the 2004 version. A surprisingly potent blast of 80s action movie making. And finally, Luke Y. Thompson from LYTRules.com says, often underrated comic book adaptation that lacks the trademark Skull logo, but delivers the superhero presence that the Thomas Jane remake sadly lacks. That's two in a row that just dog Thomas Jane. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and kind of going back before we were talking about those reviews, I've owned this DVD for a long time. And as I've talked about a million times on the podcast, the Denton Hastings where I just bought a bunch of shit. Where it, magic happened. Yeah, exactly. I probably got it for $1.99. I uh, watched it once when I bought it. But um, knowing that now about it never getting a theatrical release, that's the first thing I commented on. I was like, man, this is a really rough cut of it to make the DVD. Like... You can still see some film scratches on it and things like that, but um, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense in the way of that. And it's, I'm surprised they didn't fight for this more to get it released. <laughs> I think they just kind of moved on. I don't know. I, I mean, it's hard to tell. It I, was clearly made in that vacuum of late '80s action, and- right? But see, when when we're talking about movies like these, I always have a, a hard time. Figuring out exactly how much they cared. Like you were telling me, this was like Dolph Lundgren like going full in. He was I, in, yeah. Right. And, and I'm like, that's cool. And I buy it. And it's not a terrible movie in the sense of when you measure it against this type of movie in the late 80s. It's just like, like I said in uh, Contrarian's Corner, uh, just mindless Humble. action. Yeah. It's a movie that obviously by today's standards, it's just like... Come on. Well, and it's also what we were talking about while we were, uh, we watched this with Julio's roommate and all three of us were talking about um, all those comic book attempts that were made in the 80s were fucking weird movies. And right. Burton's Batman gets a lot of leeway, but if you watch that, that's a fucking weird movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> and same here. Um, but it's... but, but see, It I remember captures reading. the chaos of what the Punisher story wants. Right. And it goes back to the R rating. I think that the R rating, for me, is essential when it comes to the Punisher. And this one is just what I would expect. It's violent. It's gory within... You know, it's like low-budget gore, but yeah. it's there. And uh, and it's just like F-bombs everywhere, racial slurs everywhere. <laughs> it, it It's just kind of like, okay, it's that kind of movie, and I, I can appreciate it as that. It's almost like a time capsule of that brand of movies from exactly. the 80s that now, I mean, I guess you can still see them, but you, I think you have to like search harder maybe to see them now. I would it, love to watch a movie like the. Uh, I would love to watch this movie with, you know, the PC police of today. Well, yeah, it, they would be horrified. Yeah. That's, uh, but they would just, they, I think that they would just write it off as in, you know, well, it's a Dolph Lundgren vehicle that went straight to DVD. But can you imagine, like, somebody like VHS. George Clooney, or yeah, VHS, <laughs> Laserdisc. I'm sorry, Laserdisc. Uh, can you imagine, like, somebody like George Clooney doing a movie like this? <laughs> you know, that would never happen. Yeah. Uh, but that's fine. I just, I remember there's this quote that's always stuck with me, which is nobody sets out to make a bad movie. And what it says is, like, it takes so much work to make a movie that obviously you have to have a certain love for the project. Fucking Uwe Boll to this day thinks he makes good movies. Right, so that's... right. So I'm like, this was somebody's passion project, probably a lot of people's passion project. And it's not like they set out to make a movie that is 
not good. I mean, this is not terrible, but it's not great. It's not. It's not a good Punisher movie. I personally, I mean, if I have to rank them, I probably enjoyed them. Enjoyed it more than the Thomas Jane Punisher. But that's also because we're drinking and we're like talking while we're watching yeah. it and all that stuff. Um, I, I still think while Julio's is, talking about all this, he keeps making consistent eye contact with the <laughs> Dolph, DVD cover. Dolph Lundgren keeps looking at me. <laughs> uh, it's what's uh, before I forget my point. What's really fascinating is how already far Dolph Lundgren's star had fallen by the end of the 80s that this wasn't like more of an effort like you look at a thing like cabin in the woods where that thing sat on the shelves forever and then they were just like oh wait okay this chris hemsworth guy's good money behind it and it's just like dolph lundgren was already an afterthought at this point which is unfortunate because he obviously cannot control the writing the directing anything like that for what he tries to do he's fine in the movie yes i mean it's Dolph Lundgren. It's like, Dolph Lundgren. It's not great acting, but it's. I think it's probably great acting from Dolph Lundgren. And that sounds like really mean. Because I actually really. I have some. I have respect for him as a, as an artist because I remember I've heard stories from Corey again. Uh, he's he's a bigger Dolph Lundgren fan than I am. I guess. <laughs> but he was telling me how you know he's directed a few movies and he's directed and acted and how he's heard quotes of. It's one thing when he's just acting and he just focuses on acting, but when he's directing and it's his turn to be in front of the camera, he's just, I'm just trying to get it done mm-hmm. and, and then move on because directing is exhausting. So this is not a guy that's just coming in and, and doing it for, you know, to get FaceTime on a, on a Marvel property. He, yeah. To him, I do believe that he was probably into it. And it's, it's almost the... Uh, this is better, but Orlando Bloom and Elizabeth Town just like this is this is it. This is the chance of my lifetime. I'm going for right, it. Right, so. right. Yeah, he had to have been kind of crushed that they didn't get a theatrical release in the U.S. I wonder if this is like uh, Paul Rudd always talks about Halloween Six, or not always, but when it's brought up to him. But Halloween Six, but like, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't really talk about it, but it's a movie I made, and people will come up to me and want to talk about it. I'll be like, okay. So if I ever meet Dolph Lundgren, be like, hey, Punisher, huh? He probably, he probably be. I would imagine. I would hope that he would geek out about it. And yeah. he was like, "Oh yeah, that was a lot of fun." I'm like, I could tell. Uh, Lou Gossett Jr. is there, and he's also giving it his all. He's not sleepwalking through that role. No. And he gets his Oscar clip, so yeah. it's all good. But going back to the point, it's just at the same time, they have to have known that they were working with a budget and with restrictions that they couldn't make a great movie. They could make a fun. 80s low budget action movie that was not going to I mean I don't think you expected to win any awards with the Punisher but maybe you were hoping for theatrical release and just to make bank I don't know it just make bank bro right and, and so this is the Punisher and this Dolph Lundgren but there are so many movies like it where I do question the whole like okay did everybody love working in this movie where really was it a passion project for anyone or were they just cranking it out to make money you know, and which is interesting because this wasn't a point in time where comic book movies were the norm, right? But but you do have it, it is a property. It, it's a Marvel the property. Time, they had to especially rights. back then. They had to know that it was a risk because there was no guarantee R rated comic book movie would do anything back then, and clearly it didn't. <laughs> right? <laughs> didn't even get a chance to. <laughs> no. Uh, right now's a different. I mean, you look at Deadpool. Now's a much different time. But now, just now, I think that that we just turned that corner. It, it would be interesting if they do another Punisher movie to see how that fares. Of course, Punisher is not quippy and funny and doesn't break the fourth wall. Have so. a nice day. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, it's it's 
This movie, this the Punisher in this version, it's the kind of movie that I feel weird judging because it's definitely not my cup of tea. I don't, I do not enjoy watching the eighties mindless action movies that are like just. I, I know. I mean, I can enjoy them from watching with friends, and we're just having a good time regardless of the movie. Uh, so, in a way, to me, it's just. I, it feels like it's a successful version of that movie. I just, it's not my thing. Whereas, like something like the the Thomas Jane Punisher, to me, its flaws are more apparent because I should like that movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's more on that budget level. It has Travolta, it has Thomas Jane. It's trying to be more deep. Uh, well, yeah. It's trying to be deeper, more more. Uh, you know, it spends like what its first half hour or so in the origin of the Punisher and. But when it came down to it, it's also based on uh, the graphic novel, uh, Welcome Home, Frank. Mm-hmm. Have you read it? It's, I haven't read that. It kind of it kind of follows a little bit like that that story, that structure. And, of course, it doesn't compare favorably, in my opinion, to the graphic novel. So that's another thing that has against it. Uh, but I don't know. It's just to me, that's a watered-down Punisher. And then Punisher Warzone... I actually enjoyed it more because it's radar and it's like crazy as all. Oh, it goes for it. Yeah, and mm. but it's still not my kind of movie. As in, like I don't know. Do you remember that Newman is in Punisher Warzone? <laughs> He's a sidekick. I did not remember that. Yeah, he gets killed at the end. They shoot him in the head. <laughs> oh yes, I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. It's I mean that's fine, but I've yet to find uh, a version of the Punisher that compels me enough to really go out and say hey dude you have to like check this movie out and this was really cool uh the the punisher in the daredevil series now it's closer to that but like i was telling you before we start watching the movie i like the punisher better when he's not the center of the story when he's just the side character that is allowed to be crazy and you don't have to he doesn't have to be a protagonist therefore they have to soften they don't have to soften those edges gambit <laughs> like that's Gambit's Gambit. never meant to be the focus of the story. Well, like, you tell that to Channing. Actually, Channing Tatum, I guess, walked out of the project now. God, he would have been so bad. I like Channing Tatum a lot, but come on, man. Taylor Kish could have done it, but they cut nope, his balls off. Nope. They... But no, to go with your point, that's what I mean. Some superheroes work better in that. It's part of the... It's it's my Lisa Simpson. You know, I've always... I like Lisa as part of like the ensemble. I wouldn't... I don't care for Lisa-centric episodes of The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. It's... I think... Homer can carry an episode. Bart can carry an episode. Lisa and March, not so much. Mm-hmm. But they are great as part of that ensemble. Same thing, like the Punisher, it, it's hard. You have to really commit to that really difficult character to make him the star of the show. And a movie like the Thomas Jane Punisher doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. And this movie kind of does it, but it's just so low budget that, yeah, you have Lou Gossett Jr. and Dolph Lundgren is doing his best. And actually, that kid actor uh, that plays Tommy is not bad. And yeah. Not Eric Roberts is decent. <laughs> but we're still laughing at the acting and like oh, all yeah, the yeah. other scenes. So, you know, it's hard to take it seriously. Uh, Marge, be not proud. It's a Marge-centric episode that's fantastic. So if you ever get a chance, check that out. But uh, there are things about this that are good, especially considering it's almost 30 years old, which makes it fascinating. It's like way, way before, uh, a literal decade before the wave of superhero movies kicked in. And for you know a film studio to like place what was a losing bet on such a weird superhero at the time too, like, right? Um, I think there's things that are interesting about this movie, and there are good scenes, if only two. Is <laughs> that uh, Lou Gossett Jr. with Frank Castle, like they're, mm-hmm. and in the end, where like Tommy puts the gun to his head and he yes. wants him to kill him? Yeah, which is 
That's almost one of these movies that we've watched where it doesn't deserve an ending that good. <laughs> like, right. I, I wasn't kidding, Contrarian's Corner. That final confrontation, I was pumped mm-hmm. because I could tell that they were not going to walk away from, from something more difficult. You know, from having the kid is there and the dad's double crossing him and Castle ends up not forgiving. Like, he doesn't spare his life. You're so right, too. Today, if that happened, they would just kind of give each other the look and this doesn't change anything. And they would both go right. their separate or ways. Or he would just, like, you know, he would try to kill him and then Castle would, would turn tables on him and not kill him. He would just, mm-hmm. like, break his leg or something. And then because the kid is watching, he would just say... All right, well, I forgive you because, you yeah. know, I'm a character and I need to have a, a character arc. So mm-hmm. I've learned that killing is bad and I will let you mm-hmm. in the hands of justice. Uh, but no, he kills him. And it's just it, that kind of uncompromising view of the character is what I like. And it would be awesome if they had that in if he had his own movie now and they could actually go with that, which they could. But I don't know that, that that's likely. It's a Marvel property <laughs> that... I don't think that they're now. It's also a Disney property, so it, I don't oh, know. The God, chances, that's right, yeah, the chances of that happening are unlikely. The chances that they just don't take like they're not willing to take risks anymore. I remember, I really do like the first Avengers, despite all the jokes we make on here about it. Uh, I remember if they had, I thought they literally were going to kill Iron Man at the first, the first, at the end of the first Avengers. Like, oh my God, this would be so ballsy. <laughs> like, and then of course they didn't. And but listen, the it, second it, one it just going was like not good. A tiny bit of it is good, dude. It's it, okay. It's them. It's, the, it has the Quicksilver s- aspect is excellent because that was the only part of the movie. I went, Whoa! Right, you didn't see that coming. Uh, unless you were uh, one of those people that just read spoilers ahead of time, and they were trying to figure out. They're like, "Hey, did you notice that this guy Whew. is the only one that's not <laughs> that's not contracted for three more movies?" Yeah, three name guy, Aaron Kickass, whatever his name right, is, Kickass, yeah. Godzilla, Godzilla guy. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's. I don't. I mean, I'm complaining, and you would think just from listening to this episode that I actually don't like the Marvel movies, and I actually really enjoy them. I'm one of the people uh, that goes to bat for them. Almost all of them, um, and uh, the the claims that I made in Contrarian's Corner about how now everything is vanilla and mass produced, I don't really mind it. I still enjoy them a lot. I think that within that model, of course you do. No, within that model, I think that they're doing like really awesome stuff. Uh, I still didn't see Apocalypse X Men Apocalypse, but wait, the X Men property is not owned by Disney. It's still owned by right, 20th that's Century still Fox. Twenty Century Fox, yeah, uh, it's good. It's not Days of Future Past. Days of Future Past to me was great, but uh, but no, you I urge you to watch civil war civil war pays off so many things where you just like the only way that you can get something this awesome is by doing what these guys have been doing which is keeping a consistent vision of this universe throughout like what 15 movies by now mm-hmm. you know and it pays off stuff that's been set up throughout those 15 movies so you can complain about it and yeah maybe they're not all great but when they're awesome they're just it's just stuff that couldn't happen any other way. You know, the tension that has been building up between all these characters, it only pays off the way it pays off in Civil War because you have Avengers 1, Avengers 2, plus Iron Man 1. No, let's not count the others. And, and Captain sir, America 1 and 2. You have just explained why I'm a pro wrestling fan. <laughs> Because all this shit happens that you don't like, but then these one things that have been built for so long that pay off and it's amazing, it's worth all the shit. Right. Now, as much as I love that, does a Punisher movie that I would like fit into this model? Not at all. No. It's impossible. So the closest you can get is a Punisher in the Daredevil Netflix show where he's a side character and he kills a lot of people. They still soften him up a little bit where 
he is yet, as far as I can tell, he doesn't kill a single innocent person. And to me, I think that there should be at least some collateral damage to make the Punisher a little more interesting. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, it's too easy to side with him. If all he's doing is killing bad guys, it's too easy to just go like, oh, well, that's not really... Yeah. He's only killing bad guys. It has to be that there's collateral, collateral damage. He's actually a psycho that goes way over the top. These days, it's a little hard to just feel bad for, for criminals yeah. that are being killed by the Punisher. I mean, he's not killing like shoplifters or anything. He's killing mobsters that are yeah. killing other people. So it, it's, it's hard to make him a, a gray area character when you're just having him kill bad guys. Yeah, and with this movie, to me, probably the most interesting thing was uh, written by, produced by, directed by people that really didn't do anything within this realm. Uh, and even Dolph Lundgren is obviously an action dude, but at the same time, it was um, he was always the character and didn't really take on like a you know a property type thing. And um, I think it's interesting. It's fun. Um, Obviously not a movie that could be made today. I'm curious. I guess there was the room for the sequel in the end. I Part of me wants to believe that they knew there wasn't going to be something after this at the same time. I, I don't know. I mean, it's not like they leave you with a cliffhanger or anything. Uh, but I can't imagine any of them turning it down if, if it made a lot of money. And then the Sue be like, all yeah. right, are you up for a sequel? That's sure. true. It's, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> I, I, well, Guardians of the Galaxy is open for a sequel. They leave. You never find out whose dad is. That's true. So, At the same time, I that's probably up there with uh, Thor and Brothers in terms of my all-time worst calls of being like, going to tank. <laughs> <laughs> like $8 trillion. Um, so you would rank this above, in terms of Punisher. You'd put this above the Thomas Jane one? Yeah, Corey's going to hate me for saying it unless, I don't know, he maybe he loves this Punisher even more. Uh, I would rank them, I think I ranked them Warzone, uh, this Punisher, like Dolph Lundgren Punisher, and then Thomas Jane Punisher. And Thomas Jane Punisher has some good stuff, but I think that that's the weakest. It's cons outweighs. Yeah, and I, I think I go back to the PG-13 thing. Mm-hmm. I just, to me, it doesn't feel like a Punisher if it's PG-13. It needs to be the kind of movie where you have F-bombs flying everywhere and you have yeah. people dying in horrible ways. And, and if uh, nothing else, this movie does easily set that mood of chaos. Just like recklessness, chaos, and yeah, profanity. Within the parameters of the genre that is working on which is the 80s low budget action movie mm-hmm. i think that it it just does what it can admirably yeah <laughs> it actually the acting as much fun as we made of it, it it's still it's better than average it does the main characters are good actors it doesn't pussyfoot around anything either it, it knows what it wants to be and it just goes full board right. for it and we're paid off with two very good scenes uh now are we missing this are we missing the mindless action film. You did say it's not really something that you uh, enjoy per se, but no. I w- okay. Now that we're not in contrarian's corner, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not my kind of movies. Of course I don't miss it. Uh, I do think that in general though, like we don't really have this anymore. It, I think that we do, but you don't really get to see it. I mean, you're, I was you're about not to say, we don't it. have the big budget, right? Yeah. You're not going to see it theatrically. You know, I think you still see some big, big budget, uh, uh, version of it, but I don't know that you see an R-rated version of it well, we, uh, very much. They had the attempt uh, four years ago or whatever when they did Last Stand with Arnold and they did a couple of those movies that was just the stupid fucking... Have you seen Last Stand? I haven't. I've, I've just... Arnold you... is this sheriff in rural Texas. His <laughs> name is Ray Owens. <laughs> 
and he is uh he's like basically a border guard it, it's fantastic but uh yeah that I think the first two Expendables movies did really well, but that was also that's not just a mindless action movie. It's like the, it has, the, it has the a band's back yeah, to you. It has a gimmick, and then the third one fucking tanked. But see, that's probably that's a good example of how that's just not for me because the Expendables, first Expendables, I didn't care for it, and and it's that brand. It's just like oh, it's just like tough guys blowing shit up. And second one's a lot better, but yeah, the, yeah, it's first funnier, one, right? Yeah, the first one like. There's only the one part that even comes close to the word acting, and it's that monologue that Mickey Rourke has about the woman he let die. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure they he didn't know they were filming him. <laughs> he was telling his story from yeah. his own life. Uh, yeah, I don't know that, that I miss it. I think... I don't know. I mean, do you miss it? How, how often do you like hanker for the days of just tough I guys mean, killing people? It was clearly in, like... A ten-year thing that worked really well, and then James Cameron fucked everything up and made Terminator Two, and it was like, okay, <laughs> now we need to have a soul. Yeah, in this <laughs> we hit the reset button. Everything. I I am fine. I actually, in in all things considered, it's not like every movie actually holds its heroes accountable for the destruction these days. I That's mean, true. But but when they don't, they get credit. They, they, they get called out for it. Yeah, I mean, there's a. I don't know how much. Batman versus Superman is a reaction to to Man of Steel in the sense that they try to address all the the mass destruction. Oh yeah, yeah. you know, and in in Civil War also, you haven't seen it, but I mean, from the trailers alone, you can just see that yeah. a lot of what drives the plot of Civil War is them trying to uh, having to face all the collateral damage that they cause when they're avenging stuff. So that is something that's happening, and I think that it's good. And and I don't know, I. It's fine. I think that uh, you could still make movies like The Punisher if you wanted to. Uh, I mean, this one went straight to Laserdisc and mm-hmm. VHS, so maybe it just goes straight to uh, Netflix or goes straight to Amazon Prime. Or if you still can go straight to DVD, I guess you go straight to DVD. <laughs> but, uh, but seeing it in movies, I don't know. I'm sure somebody's going to come up and, and tell us, oh, well, you know, there was this movie and this movie and this movie. But I don't think that they're anywhere near as popular or as you don't see them everywhere the way that you used to in the eighties. Yeah. So I don't know. There's this movie called, uh, fuck. What was it called? It was just a few months ago. Did you see a trailer? It was just, I remember what it was called, but it was all from the point of view of, you were like a video game character. Oh, hardcore uh, Henry. Yes. Our friend, uh, Copley is in it. Oh really? Yeah. I think he's the guy that, uh, He's like your guide in the video game. So he gets killed and then he shows up again. <laughs> From what I've gathered, I haven't seen it, but uh, I think Eddie screened it. And uh, that sounds like the kind of movie that we're talking about, where it's just mindless destruction and there's not like a character arc or anything. I mean, Dolph Lundgren does not have a character arc here. No. <laughs> he, he's killing people from the beginning till the very end. He does not. And I wasn't kidding either in the beginning portion. I appreciate that, that you're just fucking dropped right in. They give you the backstory in like three lines of dialogue. It is refreshing. I, it doesn't mean that I I cannot appreciate a movie about the Punisher that has a backstory that actually that is good. It's probably just the what we're conditioned to right now because we've had so many fucking right. relaunches yeah. and like yeah. so yeah. But I mean the the like why the opening scene of Batman and Superman was necessary. Everyone knows Batman's parents <laughs> get shot. <laughs> fucking hell, and yeah. 
Now, three times, or it's going to be three times within a 15-year span that they've... Spider-Man? Yeah. Well, they're saying that Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man, the Spider-Man Homecoming, I think that's what it's called, uh, it doesn't have a, an origin sequence, which would be amazing. But it does have uh, Marissa Tomei's Aunt May. I'm, I'm down. It's, uh, Aunt May's just getting hotter and hotter. She's, uh, that's fine with me. Uh, there's Five the... years from now, it's going to be Margot Robbie. <laughs> You haven't seen Suicide Squad yet, right? I have not. Will you watch it? Eventually. Okay. I'm very curious about your thoughts when you do. My sister said, everything you could think is wrong with it is wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> I am still... I I watch the trailer anytime I, I, I have the chance because I have this... I play this Injustice game online uh-huh. uh, or on my phone and every time I turn it on, the first thing you see is they force you to watch the the... Uh, Suicide Squad trailer. They don't force you. You can skip it. But I just, I just watch but it. Cause I watch I'm like, it. Hey, come on, it's just like two minutes. It has a cool song. It has Barroom Blitz on it, and Margot Robbie being awesome, and Will Smith being Will Smith. It's like uh, it's two minutes of my life, and it makes me happy. Um, yeah, the movie's not as good, but it's better than Batman vs Superman. And you know, I watched it. Uh, this is better than Batman vs Superman. It's less ambitious, but yeah, I mean, overall, I think it's a more consistent. Ambitious movie. is not a word I would use to describe. It, it is. You can say so many things about Batman Superman, negative things, but ambitious, it's also like something you could say about it. It's it fails. Wonder Woman uses an ATM. <laughs> Batman he prepares a PowerPoint and sends it to her. Right, but at the same time, they also tried and where failed. was she flying to? <laughs> They tried and failed to make a movie that examines Superman's role as a symbol in our world and how other people would react to it. They do a terrible job of exploring it, but they, they... Don't do this they bullshit. It's Zack Snyder. One man does a terrible job of it. Well, I, they, they, but they it makes let a him. bunch of money, so he must be doing something right. They let him. I mean... It's true. They. they. Quotation marks. <laughs> Whoever they are. No, yeah. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, Suicide Squad, I watched it with my brother and uh, and my mom, actually, and my girlfriend when I was on vacation. And just watching it with them made it a better experience because, I mean, my brother liked it a lot. But, he, I mean, he doesn't go out and watch superhero movies in theaters like very often. So to him, I think it was just part of the experience that we were watching it together. Yeah. And then right after, we could talk about it and talk about the things we liked and all the stuff in the uh, I got an email from him uh, a couple of weeks ago where he was telling me that he went to see it again with some girl. Like he went on a date to watch this. Nice. Class. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome. That's just like, I'm like, do I think too much about movies? Maybe that's, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. We had, like, I think that's the thing. We watch movies like it, we've only really had a bad experience with a handful of them. Like Paul Blart was one. Um, Let's not forget now or ever uh, Christmas with the cranks. Yeah. Movies where even us just bullshitting, having a few beers together, still couldn't enjoy it. Yeah. This is, within what it exists for, is fun. And it's kind of interesting. It's, like you said, it parts of it are refreshing to view now, knowing what superhero movies have kind of become. Right. And again, that's not all necessarily a bad thing, but they are cut from the same cloth, and none of them seem to take risks. Yes, I, I can agree with that. I mean, that's... I think the risks they take are, are not... Minimal. Right. And I've seen that. I mean, that's a common complaint everywhere. Where they're just like, why are you getting these awesome directors, these indie directors, and giving them these uh, franchises when you're not going to let them do what they want to do? Yeah. Because you have to protect the brand. And 
So I mean, it's a, it's a valid criticism, but and at then the JJ same time, Abrams is like Han Solo dead. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then you have something like Guardians of the Galaxy, directed by James Gunn, and yeah, you can say that's run through the Marvel machine, but that's still a James Gunn movie. Yeah. So it can work. It just it doesn't work for everybody. It's there's some filmmakers that can't go through that process and I don't think that's anybody's fault it's just something that you find out when it's happening and then you just have to pull the plug and say okay Edward Wright maybe we just the Ant-Man you want to make is not the Ant-Man that we need to make and yeah. you pull on the other guy and then you know what maybe Ant-Man doesn't do anything revolutionary but it's good enough to set up the table for Ant-Man showing up in Civil War and that makes me happy yeah. so that's that's fine and that goes back to, I obviously have an unabashed love for the Nolan trilogy, but when people bitch about it for whatever fucking reason, oh, it's not the comic book, stuff like that, it's like, man, it was dude fucking doing his vision of Batman the way he fucking wanted to, and that's something that's admirable. Yeah. Especially when, uh, you know, not the ones you mentioned, but like, the first Iron Man was fantastic, but since then it's just been kind of, okay. Thor. You like Thor. First Thor is incredible. Yeah. But second Thor is shit. Yeah. We'll see what happens to third Thor. Second Iron Man is trash. Yes. I never even saw the third one, but it Not good. Not it's good. basically just, okay, we know where the blocks need to be pushed in, so just do that now. Um, but yeah, uh, Punisher, interesting, fun, violent. Have the Punisher show up in a future movie. Well, it's not going to happen now because he's you know in the Netflix show, but dude, have him show up as a villain, just capping people left and right. I'll be happy. Yeah. It's clear... This movie is less than 90 minutes long, and it felt dragged out, and that's because there's only so much you can do with the Punisher. And again, just to kind of reiterate our point for the entire time, it's not a character that's meant to be the spotlight. Right. I remember uh, one of the first Punisher comics I read, well, it was a Spider-Man comic where the Punisher was a bad guy, and they had him. It was raining, and there was this couple that was... Uh, they didn't have an umbrella, so they were using a newspaper to cover themselves. And then they, they reach the wherever it is that they're going. And so they throw the newspaper on the ground. And then the Punisher starts shooting at them because they were littering. I'm like, that's cool. Maybe that's because that's how I was introduced to the character. But that's yeah. what I think of when I think of the Punisher. Yeah. You can still have him be traumatized by the death of his family or whatever. But when you make him a psycho that's really overreacting, that's when it gets interesting mm-hmm. to me. Dolph did what he could. He's a limited actor, but I really enjoyed him in this. I, I, yeah, I have no problem with him. I mean, he's not, his Punisher, I mean, does the job in this version of the movie. Exactly. It's, yeah. Um, it's what you'd expect from him, but you can tell he gave a genuine effort. Uh, Gossett Jr., he was having a good time at, at the same, on the same token, you know, a couple of those scenes you can tell he's like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and put on my <laughs> acting hat, man. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, again, just to kind of close on that final scene, no joking around, that's excellent. And one of those things, the movie probably didn't deserve to have an ending that good, but it pulled it <laughs> off. All right. So was that episode 32? This is episode... Uh, wow. Let me pull up our own podcast to see where we are. Oh, yeah, because Paul Blart was 30.5. So really, this is 31. Uh, that was Here Comes the Boom. Paul Blart was like No, I'm sorry. Kevin seven. James. Yeah. And here comes boom. The Kevin James. Okay, so episode 31. So episode 32 will be It Follows? Yes, It Follows. We already set a date. We're meeting with Eddie, and this is happening. It's and going down. 33 is uh, Valley of the Dolls. Valley Dolls. 34 is that thing you do. Yes. Uh, I'm sure Eddie will tell us about it in detail uh, when we meet with him, but uh, he was on a fantasy league football thing 
with uh, Tom Everett Scott recently. Amazing. Yes, I know. I was like, can you tell him <laughs> that we're going to talk about that thing you do? Uh, I don't know if he ever got a chance. They had like a chat going or something, but he wasn't able to get in. So I don't know. I don't know how much access he had. But that is Spartacus. Yeah. If you're wondering what Tom Everett Scott's up to, he has a fantasy football league. He going. was supposed to be the guy. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, oh god that's a pretty awesome road we have ahead of us yeah um, i know this is a lot of awesomeness uh ahead all right so plugs for this week as always our opening and closing music by the festive years their album don't let me use you we have um it's last stand for the opening in summer of 1999 for the closing. that's right yes i actually haven't written here um i would like to quickly plug the show preacher based on the popular comic book series from like i don't know a long time ago have you ever read preacher i have not have you heard of the show preacher i have yeah it just ended a couple weeks ago i finally caught up with it uh like i've been watching bits and pieces like a couple episodes every few nights and then i finally just barreled through what i had left and uh, finished it and it was really cool like mostly the, the i ended up on a positive note really excited for the next season it's already been renewed um I don't know if you knew, but uh, Seth Rogen and uh, his writing partner... Evan Goldberg. Evan Goldberg, like, they're behind it. Nice. And uh, I think that it's it's good. Like, I haven't been, like, a super fan of everything they've done in movies, but this was really... It feels like they had the right sensibility to bring this uh, to life. Like, the comic is pretty crazy, and the show is just as crazy. There is one element of the show that I wasn't crazy about, and I'm hoping that they improve it in the next season. But overall, I'm, I was just so happy. It gets crazier and crazier as it, as it goes. And the promise of the second season, basically the first season ends right around the time that the comic book begins. So this first season has been like a prequel to all the craziness that is the comic. And nice. it's just like, it, it's been so good. I'm, I'm really excited. They got a really awesome cast. And uh, yeah, I think that if you were waiting to see if people were going to think that the first season was good before trying it, well, now the verdict verdict is out. And it's not just me. A lot of people liked it, so you should give it a shot. Nice. Do you have any plugs? I don't this week. Uh, we'll be recording shortly, so I'm sure if I think of anything, I'll be able to plug that at our next recording. But uh, that was what I had. Did you have anything in addition to that, Julio? No, no, no. I think, uh, well, you know, I would just mention that uh, Film Spotting, that podcast that we all love, uh, just turned 600 did 600 episodes wow. recently i know that's impressive i know and it was just uh, it was cool they had a really awesome uh anniversary episode where they had uh, chuck klosterman he's a writer he writes a lot of like non-fiction stuff mm-hmm. and they had him because he just wrote a book about kind of like what the present is going to be like in the future what future people are going to look at and think of the present is something like that and so they did their top five for that episode was uh I think it was like top five movies that are gonna endure to the future. Like, and so their picks were like really interesting because of the criteria and how they would like rationalize that a movie like The Happening would end up being something that transcends time and the future generations actually look at it as an important relic of our time. Wow, <laughs> I know it's it's pretty awesome. So, uh, if for some reason you're not listening to Film Spotting, episode six hundred is a good place to start. Get on it. Yep. Uh, we will be back shortly, though. We'll be picking up with uh, It Follows. We'll have Eddie Strait with his triumphant return to the Contrarians podcast. Yes, this time he's not in the middle of a Gray Area episode, so he'll be just joining us and <laughs> trashing this movie. 
All right, but that was the Punisher. Uh, we do appreciate you as always for listening to us here on the Contrarians. Uh, be sure to check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes. Where else are we? Is that it right now? Well, I think that any like app that pulls uh, podcasts from wherever iTunes pulls them, mm-hmm. so I guess our website, uh, it, it, you can just find it. Because I, I have a friend that told us that they listen to us from, fuck, I don't remember what it's called, like Twitch or something. Oh, right on. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. We are thecontrarians.com. Be sure to check it out. Uh, but we do appreciate you for listening to The Contrarians, where we are right and you are wrong, and we will catch you next time. That's of 1999. Thank you for listening to The Contrarians. On your way out, be sure to swing over to youtube.com backslash ovniofilms. That's O-V-N-I-O films. And check out The New Adventures of Baby Jesus, a web series created and written by The Contrarians' very own Julio Oliveira. I have a... We, you can put this after the, the the end credits music, but really I want to take a moment to talk about Old Boy. Okay. Because it's follow-up, because when we watched the A-Team... You mentioned that Charlton Copley is in the Old Boy remake, which I haven't seen. I hadn't seen that or the original, and now I have seen the original, and I didn't care for it, <laughs> which makes me think that I might actually enjoy the remake, and I might actually I might actually enjoy Charlton Copley's. <laughs> I would highly doubt it, sir. Uh, here's my problem. Like? Here's my problem with Old Boy. I actually like the story, and when it gets to that big reveal at the end, mm-hmm. well, it's not the end. It's like there's 20 minutes to go by the time that. You get to the reveal, but uh, it it really it kind of blew my mind. I did not see it coming. I I was holding the movie in, with such contempt by then that when he actually pulled the rug out of from under me, I'm like, wow, that's pretty awesome. But I just don't care for the tone at which the movie is pitched. Uh, the comedy when it comes, it just it's just so off putting. It reminded me of whenever I've tried to watch anime. I I have friends that love anime. And whenever I've I've tried to watch anime, I don't care for the the comedy in it. You know, it's just so over the top and the voices and the the, the acting. And it was the same thing here in Old Boy. Uh, the the Shinsuke. <laughs> it just the oh, dude. They're just. I mean, of course, I can't really quote any lines because. You know, it's not in English, so I can. I was quote really you hoping the, you were just going to bust out some fluent Korean. No, right now. I can quote you the subtitles, but let's just say like there's a sex scene that has the most ridiculous lines ever, and I understand that one of the reasons you need to have them talk during that scene is because then later it pays off, it gets played, you know, yeah. it, a recording of it gets played. But when it's happening, it's just so ridiculous in a movie that's dealing with such serious stuff that mm-hmm. to me it just the whiplash tonally it's just 
it kept me away from really engaging uh, with the movie. The, the main guy, he's just such a fucking clown. I can't, <laughs> I can't stand him, he, especially early on when he's still, I don't know, maybe the first half of the movie or so. He's just, when he's like readjusting to society, it's just like the movie trying to like tickle me. It was like, isn't this funny? No, it's not. It's just not. <laughs> if the whole movie was pitched at that level where everything is ridiculous, everything is silly, then maybe that would work better for me. But it it just doesn't. It, it, what about the hallway scene? What, like the fight scene? Yeah. The, the, it's I most mean, famous for. It's okay, but I know it's not the movie's fault, but by now I've seen action scenes that are better than that. Like one take action scenes that are. Now I was watching, I was like, it's kind of what I've seen already, and I could because I was not engaged with the movie. I could see when they were like missing, and <laughs> and not really connecting. With what the, a the hits. dick! I know, but so my hope is that the Spike Lee version tones that down because Spike Lee is not that ridiculous. He can be pretty ridiculous, but I'm hoping that it's a little more toned down to where I can enjoy the movie, I can connect with it on a more realistic level. Am I right? Is that or or is it gonna be like so fucking over the top? That... So you, you should probably like track it down and watch it before we record. Maybe not this next one, but just so a few episodes from now we can have a follow up to this. Right. You know it was supposed to be Will Smith. That's old boy. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Um, and then he read the script. He goes, "Oh." <laughs> I'm assuming the main beats are still the same, so the big reveal is still the same. Yeah. Do you uh, know what role Charlotte Copley plays? I imagine he's the bad guy, the main bad guy. Correct. Right? That sounds amazing to no. me. <laughs> that, that sounds like uh, because the main bad guy he he sounds like somebody that Charlotte Copley could play, not the way that he's played in the in the original version, because the original version is actually the most toned down character out of all of them. And, uh, but maybe what I'm hoping is that the Spike Lee version, everybody else is toned down and Charlotte Copley is the crazy guy. <laughs> who plays, who plays the main female character? Elizabeth Olsen. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, dude, I'm actually looking forward to it. <laughs> it's just, I think that there is no way that I will not enjoy this movie. It definitely has some than... interesting parts. It kind of falls off the tracks about 40 minutes in, but yeah, it's, I'd recommend it. Does it change the the a lot like the story from from the original? Not really. I, I can't fall off the tracks. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think they have it on Amazon Prime, so I might I might check it out. It's like 90 minutes, but I think Spike Lee's original cut was like two and 45. Really? Yeah. I mean the the original is two hours. Yeah. And, uh, and he, I, he eats a calamari. <laughs> he eats a calamari. That's a. Uh, yeah, that was like know. a legit live octopus he ate in that scene. Sure. <laughs> no, it was. Right, but yeah. I mean, it's like, okay. So what's... It goes back to Julio's old principle. If the movie has you, it has you. If it doesn't, there's nothing to bring it back. Yes, that is completely true because I was just so... Like, nothing made sense on a like logical level. And they explain some of it later on when you find out that... Uh, you know, what was really going on in his head the entire mm-hmm. time. But... it. it when you're watching it, you don't know that, and you're just like, what the fuck? You know, it's like, it's cool as a little scene that you want to show your friends. It's like, hey, you want to see some dude, like, eating an octopus, and it's trying to, like, crawl up its nose and everything? That's great. But but in the context of the story, you're like, why? What are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to prove, you know? It just... And then, God, like, some of the dialogue, dude, it's just so fucking bad. <laughs> when she's telling him... Because, you know, she goes... She's like, I have to pee, and the lock is broken, so don't you get any ideas? And then... And then, of course, she goes, she she starts peeing, and then he, like, 
just breaks into the room and he like tries to like fuck her and she like kicks him out. And then she comes out and she's like, I know you haven't had sex in forever, but, uh, you know, we will have sex. But when it happens, I want you, I want it to really happen. I want it to, I want you to give it to me really hard. I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> because the way they play it, it's staged as it, as it, as if it was meant to be a, a comedic moment. And it's just so weird as, as a comedy to, to see it. And I don't know. I just don't like it. I, I didn't care for it at all.